Our study tonight is from Genesis chapter 4. Looking forward to just uh, going back to some good basics again tonight. I've been really uh, very pleased to see how foundations are established right at the beginning of the Bible. And we're going to see something of that in the study tonight. So once again, thank you for joining me. And I do trust that our time, short time together tonight would be of some value and encouragement to you. Let me pray and then we're going to read the passage and then we're going to seek to spend some time just explaining it. So Father, come. we come again tonight just thanking you for your revelation to us. Lord, that you've not left us in darkness. And so help us, Lord, to receive that which you have given Uh, Not only that we have some kind of intellectual understanding, but Lord, that you would even stir uh, within our hearts a response to you that would be honoring uh, to you, leading us in our worship, in thanksgiving and praise to your name. And we pray, Lord, as we come uh, in the name of Jesus, on the basis of all that he has done, and this we do with much, much thanksgiving of heart. Amen. So Genesis chapter 4, do open your Bible, follow with me, and uh, we're going to read the account of Cain and Abel. So now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, you shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can be. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enosh. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enosh. And Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahulajal, and Mahulajal fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, the name of the other was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's names were Jubal and and was the father of all those who played the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forge of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, 
Ada and Zilla, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So that the uh, study that we have before us tonight, uh, the Word of God, uh, very helpful. I've really been encouraged uh, studying this particular passage uh, tonight. I think just to introduce the passage, we need to be thinking in terms of the application that it has for us uh, thousands of years after this particular event. But let me remind you that this passage, the first five books of the Bible, are written by Moses, uh, the books of the law. And uh, Moses, in the context of leading the people of Israel uh, in their wanderings or through their wanderings in the desert before entering the promised land. So don't forget the context. Don't forget the initial recipients of this particular letter. But I want to then jump right to the present and ask an important question of application. Will the church survive? We are now in 2023. Uh, 21st century attitudes toward the church is not friendly. It's antagonistic. There is a a great sense of antagonism. Uh, Secularism is on the rise, uh, permeating governments and, and constitutions and thinking especially of the Western world where there had been for some time Uh, some kind of Christian influence, at least even some kind of cultural Christianity, but not so anymore. The Bible has not been respected. The Ten Commandments have been jettisoned uh, from all public places, and and more and more of this opposition is arising. And so we, we wonder, I'm sure you wonder, will the church survive the pressures, not only of secularism, but of postmodernism, where there is now... Uh, a growing belief and understanding that there's no such thing as absolute truth, that everything is relative and you have your truth and I have my truth and anybody can have any truth they would like to adopt. We need to respect that kind of thing. And then we have the challenge of Islam. Uh, Islam is spreading. It has spread. And uh, we see more and more of this taking place in the world. And so the question again, will the church survive uh, this particular generation? Will it survive into the future? We see that there are those statisticians and uh, uh, people who are reporting declining numbers. We think particularly in churches in the West, in the United Kingdom, some of the biggest cities in the United States, and certainly even in South Africa, you will find that their church buildings are standing empty, churches that used to be filled with people on a, on a Sunday morning. And so we have these reported trends, uh, they're fueling the fires of prophets of doom, uh, proclaiming the end to the Christian church. The church will simply not survive, they say. Are they right? Is there any foundational truth that we can refer to, that we can stand on in being sure that God will continue to sustain and to build, as Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not prevail against them. 
Now, I do need to say, we need to be careful as Christians that we cannot simply uh, blunder ahead in terms of blind optimism. We do need to have substance to our argument. Why would we believe? Why would we stand in confidence that the church is to survive, that the church will be sustained, and that God will continue to build his church? Are there sound reasons for this confidence? And I want to show you tonight, going back to the beginning of the Bible, we're going back to Genesis, that there's every reason to believe that the church will survive. But let me not jump the gun. We can again ask that question at the end. Let's get to the chapter. Chapter 4 opens with the next generation entering the picture. There had been Adam and Eve, and last week we saw how paradise had been lost because of sin, because of their disobedience, because of their listening to the evil one. But we read in chapter 4 verse 1 that now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, it's important to see here. In Eve's mind, this is not just a boy. It's not just an infant. It's a man. And so for, for Eve, Cain is another Adam, a man produced with the help of the Lord. And like his father, he worked the soil. Now here's my point. Eve must have thought at that particular point in time that Cain is the promised seed of the woman. Well, in the course of time, Eve gave birth to another son, Abel. Interestingly, his name simply means wrath. It's the word translated as vanity or meaninglessness in the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, Abel lives up to his name of being a mere breath. We see in the course of his life that he's vulnerable, he's passive, he doesn't even speak. There's nothing that he says in the narrative. He does not defend himself, he keeps sheep. And we're told in verse 3, In the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit to the, of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock on our, and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell, which takes us to the very first point. And we see now that the brothers are in worship. The Bible doesn't record everything. And so in some senses, we have to read in between the lines. And we can assume at this stage that they were taught uh, that there were requirements uh, in that which they need to bring to God as offerings in worship. And so it's not surprising to see their efforts in this regard. What is surprising is the response, especially a superficial reading of uh, the, the passage. Verse 4, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, and for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So why? 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 Both bring an offering. Why not accept both? Uh, but, but we don't see that. Why, why does the Lord have regard for Abel and his offering and not for Cain and his offering? I certainly have been puzzled when I've read that passage, thinking about it though. Uh, remember what I said? The passage is written to those who are wandering in the desert, the Israelites. They would have known immediately why, why God was pleased with one and not the other. On the one hand, Abel, 
was in sync. He was obeying God's law, which called for an offering of the best. Notice some of the importance, the firstborn. Not just any animal, the firstborn, a perfect specimen, including the fat portions burning on the altar. In other words, he was showing dedication, commitment to the Lord. Notice too that the Lord has regard for Abel and his offering. And so there is a sense in which God is looking at the heart. There's something about the heart of the individual, Abel, in bringing uh, the offering, the motivation uh, that moved him to bring this particular offering. In fact, we read the writer of the Hebrews gives us some insight as well. Chapter 11 and verse 4, he says, By faith, you see, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Faith, we know, comes from hearing the word of God. He was responding, responding to, to that which God required. And through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. On the other hand, with Cain, he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. There's no mention of first fruit. It's noticeably absent. His offering seems somewhat superficial. It's something he has to do. He simply does it. But his heart is not in it. And so therefore God has no regard for his offering. And as a result of God's rejection, we read in verse 5, Cain was very angry and his face fell. God, however, lovingly speaks to Cain. Verse 6, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The Lord is pointing out that even after his fall into sin, he can still take corrective action. He can still do right. He can still do what God requires. He can fight sin and be accepted. Which leads me on to my next point, simply being the fact that God shows compassion. That a wonderful thing. We see this from the beginning, right throughout the Bible. God showing compassion to undeserving people. Not only do we see a clear guidance from God to what needs to be done, but mercifully God warns him about the danger of sin. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Be careful. Be careful, Cain. This thing is going to be the end of you if you don't deal with it. And if you noticed... It's the first time in the Bible where we read this word sin. It's described as a vicious animal. It's crouching at your door. If you do not do right, you leave yourself wide open to attack. This ferocious animal will destroy you. It will kill you like a lion crouching for the kill. Tragically, Cain doesn't listen to God, doesn't listen to the warning. Instead, he nurses his anger at God, he's jealous of his brother, and he takes action. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, takes his brother out of range uh, to the field where screams cannot be heard, out in the field where there can be no witnesses, 
planning to kill his brother. Sadly, we read in verse 8, and when they in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Brother kills brother. Seven times, now, and again, the detail of any passage is so important. Seven times over the course of this passage, we're told that Abel is Cain's brother. Why is that important? <laughs> Cain does not kill an enemy. Cain does not even kill a stranger. He kills his own flesh and blood. Kills his brother. Do you see the ugliness of Adam and Eve's sin? It's only the second generation and we see a brother deliberately taking the life of a brother. It is what God said would happen. Following the rebellion in the garden, God had said to the serpent, remember these are important words in verse chapter 3 verse 15, he would put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. There would be this constant antagonism between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. There will be a struggle through the generations and see this today. Don't be surprised by it. See it through through what we see today. Two opposing powers, the struggle between good and evil. Even when God questions Cain about the whereabouts of his brother, Cain lies. Verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is, your, where is Abel your brother? <laughs> I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Is Cain's response. The murder of Abel and the lie to God shows Cain's position. It's the seed of the serpent. When he was born, Eve thought he was to be the seed of the woman. He would be the one who would conquer the serpent. But now it's clear that he is the seed of the serpent out to destroy the seed of the woman. And so the battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent is raging. It's already raging. It's ugly. It's a, it's a gruesome battle. And it calls out for God's justice. In verse 10, the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Don't forget that God is a God of justice. And so we move on. We see that, yes, God brings justice. Sin must be punished. Oh, don't forgive these these. Liars who stand in the pulpits of our world today and will not speak about sin and do not require repentance from sin. Sin must be punished. We see this from the very beginning. And God places Cain under a curse. Verse 11. And now you are cursed from the ground which was opened, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. And again, the thread of mercy, uh, uh, God's mercy shown to Cain. Verse 15, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Even the traitor, Cain receives God's mercy. We would speak, it, speak of it today as common grace, showing even what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember Matthew chapter 5 verse 45, just an example. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. But sadly, we read in back in Genesis uh, 4 verse 16, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. He settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. 
Cain, who was produced with the help of the Lord, went away from the presence of the Lord. He dwelled in the land of Nod. Verse 17, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore, and bore Enosh. And when he built the city, he called the name of the city after his son Enoch. And then in quick succession, I don't forget, there's nothing in the Bible. We've been reading through Genesis in our morning services, and by reading it, we don't always get the full understanding of it. But in quick succession, the narrator speeds down Cain's genealogy to the seventh generation from Adam, and he stops at Lamech in verse 18. Now, you kind of look at that and you think, oh, do I need to, read to read, need to read all those difficult names? Well, there's a reason. There's a reason. The next verses, 19 to 22, highlights something of some cultural development in the line of the seed of the serpent. But here's the point. Sadly, tragically, the cycle of sin is contagious. My point simply being the brother's sin spreads. Notice Lamech, verse 23. He brags to his wives, Adam Zilla, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. Did you see there's no conscience here? Lamech is a killer. He takes a life of a man for just wounding him. And he's proud about of this decadent and horrific deed. Only seven generations from Adam... Now, don't forget seven, significant number in the Bible, a complete number of generations, and sin has come to full fruition. Human beings boast about their power to defend themselves. They don't need God. They don't need the law. They will decide themselves what is good and what is evil. They can be gods for themselves. So what do we see? Humanity is disintegrated from a world where God was worshipped to where humans think they can live without God. Evil seems to have triumphed. The seed of the serpent seemingly has the upper hand. But the passage doesn't end. Instead of ending the story at that sad and low point, it jumps back to Adam and Eve. Now again, the significance. I just am so amazed at the, at the Holy Spirit's structure of the Bible in, in, in leading Moses as he writes all scripture, God breathed. And, and, and so we're back to Adam and Eve in verse 25 and you wonder, is this just biological growth or is there something more happening? Verse 25, Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. What's happening? Eve now knows that Cain was not the promised seed of the woman. The younger Abel was, but Cain killed him. But God, but God in his faithfulness is granted has appointed another child. Ah, oh, here's an important little clue. Seth, in the Hebrew, the word is Sarah. You know what that means? Seed. Instead of Abel, Seth is the seed of the woman. The point of the passage is becoming clear. The battle, this raging and fierce 
bloody battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. God is faithful. God is faithful. And I say it again. God is faithful in continuing the seed of the woman. Which takes me to my next point. God is faithful. In the line of Cain, we see rich cultural developments. Increasingly, people declare and think that they do not need God. Technology unfolding and evolving. In the line of the seed of the woman, what do we see? We see people who are weak, a mere breath, able. But what do we read now in verse 26? People who call on the name of the Lord. To Seth also a son has, uh, was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? God has his people. They recognize their dependence on the Lord. They're weak. They're vulnerable. They know that they are not self-sufficient. They know that God is their king. And they make Lord the Lord central in their lives. They pray. They worship. And did you see, do you see what God is doing here? God is faithful in continuing in the line of the seed of the woman. God raised Seth and his descendants up to continue his people on the earth. And folk, you will see that, that, that continues throughout the Bible. There is, a, there is a, this decadence, this movement of people in the inclination towards sin. But God cons- constantly, continually, faithfully raises up people, seed of the woman. The battle rages. Just some examples that we see in the unfolding of Scripture. Abel, surely, first of the martyrs. What did the Egyptians do? They drowned the Israelite boys in the river Nile. What did Jezebel do? She went about and killed so many prophets. Elijah thought he was the only one left. God kept raising up generations of the seed of the woman. And why? Because of the promise, in the fullness of time, God sends his son. Messiah is born. But the battle rages, continues to rage. The seed of the serpent manages to kill the seed of the woman on the cross. Jesus is crucified. Seemingly victory by the seed of the serpent. But of course we know resurrection. But the persecutions didn't stop there. Jesus had warned his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 verse 16. Behold, I'm sending you as sheep into the midst of the wolves. So be wise as serpents, serpents and innocent as doves. All men will hate you because of me. What happened? After Jesus was resurrected, mob stoned the deacon Stephen. Herod Agrippa killed James. The Romans killed the apostles, Peter and Paul. The church suffered repeated persecutions. Many Christian martyrs resulted. The church fathers, the wonderful statement, saw that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. God has, God will continue to provide for the continued existence of the seed of the woman, even to this day. Let's go to a passage in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 
Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, seed of the serpent. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, seed of the woman. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. Cannot keep on sinning, because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are children of the devil. Do you, do you see the two kingdoms? Kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. Seed of the serpents, uh, seed of the serpent, seed of the woman. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Do you see how the Bible fits together? Fuck you and me, we're involved in this battle. We're in the midst of this battle. Don't think Sunday uh, is just a, 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 a peaceful time of, 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 of ease and comfort. The battle rages. I'm telling you, the battle rages and there are people among us who are angels of light. You've got to be careful. There, there are people standing in pulpits who are angels of light. Uh, I'm sorry, they, they masquerade as angels, angels of light, but they're from darkness. They, they're the seed of the serpent. Christian martyrs in the 20th century, it's a statistic over here, millions of people. Since 1990, an average of over 160,000 Christians have been killed around the world. John writes to Christians, again we're back in 1 John chapter 3, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. John continues to tell them about the spirit of Antichrist. 1 John 4 verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And folk, we're not speaking here, merely speaking uh, the name of Jesus. We're speaking about the content of what the Bible reveals us about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Not what people think he is like and what they would like him to do, what he actually has done and who he actually is. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. The seed of the woman. The seed of the woman will conquer even under persecution today. No matter how hard the battle. And so we're back to the question. None I've already answered it. Will the church survive 21st century secularism, postmodernism, antagonism, and, and, and Islam and every other ism? Of course. Of course. God is faithful in preserving his church until Jesus returns. And there is that great celebration, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Let me close. A couple of implications. God's faithfulness in building and preserving his church applies to a body of people and not buildings. Okay, buildings are tools and tools come and go. But the people that are brought into the body of Christ will continue to do so. And we see this in the book of Revelation, people from every tribe, language and nation at the throne of God. Number two. You will and I will be caught up in the struggle between evil and good. And like Stephen 
And like Abel, like others, we may be a victim. We may be persecuted, even pay the ultimate price. But remember Matthew 5 verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Take courage. Thirdly, I do believe a message like this ought to send a strong urging to you and to me to cut sin out of our lives. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door to destroy you. And then just finally, a warning. Those of us who are parents and are concerned for our children and grandchildren, succeeding generations, the sins of one generation so easily spread to succeeding generations. Walk circumspectly in your life, before your family, under the Lord, in submission to the Lord, to the glory of God. Lord, I pray that this message would really sink into our hearts. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the optimism that we can have based on the foundation of who you are and what you're doing in redemption history. Help us to have great confidence in what you're doing, always looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. Jesus, the one who is building his church and even building at Central, at the Hill, at Arcadia, to the glory of your name. Help us, Lord, in the midst of this struggle. Thank you again for that promise that greater is he that within that is within us than he that is in the world. Thank you that the seed of the woman has conquered, that we as those in that seed too can participate in that victory. Amen. And so just finally, we see some discussion questions. If you are meeting in a group once again, just to put those out there for you to take a copy of them. And God bless you. I've really been encouraged, encouraged by the study and do pray that you too will be encouraged and spurred on in the work that God has called us to do.